This episode is brought to you by Culture IQ. The Culture IQ platform combines integrated culture management software with expert support from Culture IQ's team of strategists. This is so you can develop a culture that's aligned with your business goals and drive competitive advantage. Culture IQ is the only culture management platform and employee survey software that helps you turn employee data into action. Culture IQ's benchmark employee survey, intuitive culture software, and seasoned culture strategy team gives you unparalleled insight into what's happening within your organization, plus guidance on exactly where to focus next. To learn more, head over to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash culture IQ. Culture IQ is another company that we can't say enough about. Great company, great service, great friends. Uh, but also, if you're if you're focused on culture and tracking it and doing well at it, Culture IQ is where you want to be. I'm uh, Levi King, CEO and co-founder of NAV. You can find us at nav.com. And we are a free credit and financial education platform and app uh, for small business owners exclusively. So they can come to our site, get their personal credit through the lens of a business owner, and then uh, three business credit reports, scores, and alerts, and understand their cash flows, their business through the checking account. And that's all our, all through our free product. So we help them understand, improve, and then leverage that data over time, over the life of the business, as the business matures and as their needs change you know, whether they want to save money, uh, expand, grow, et cetera. Got it. You, you mentioned that it's a, it's a free product. Um, and I, I definitely want to touch on like how that works um, from a business model standpoint for you guys. But um, even before that, let, let's, let's touch on like yourself as Levi. Like where did you, how did you get into the, the NAV business? Um, what were some of the experiences that, you, that sort of propelled you into this space? Yeah, <clears throat> kind of a long story so i'll give the brief version you can tell me what sounds more interesting or less interesting but <laughs> i i grew up uh, on a farm so my dad was a small business owner and just from a young age was pretty curious about business how it worked how money was made how margins work really from a very young age and i don't know where that came from but uh i went to college and got a job to put myself through college at a, at a sign company and the owner of the company at some point asked, hey, what are you going to do when you're done with college? And I said, I don't know. I just know I want to own my own business. And he said, well, if you'll stick around here another year, I'll teach you the ropes if you agree to leave the state and go start this type of business somewhere else. So I did that, left college and and stuck around a year and then moved back to where I was from, which is Idaho, and uh, bootstrapped my way into an electric sign manufacturing company, manufactured electric signs, awnings, and neon started with just servicing and then once I had enough money to buy my way into installation, we did servicing and installation. And then once I had enough money, then I, we bought our way into manufacturing. Had that business for a few years, it was just incredibly difficult to understand how does credit and financing apply to my business? What are the options? Where do I find them? What are the, any creditor, what are they looking at? How do they judge me? And it's very opaque. There's no transparency, um, nowhere to go. And so, that was the first business. Then I started four more. I sold it. It was successful. And I started four more small businesses through my 20s that were also hotel, franchises in the restaurant industry, um, financial services business for people that speak Spanish, where we did some check cashing, insurance, mortgages, uh, tax prep, et cetera, and with, some, with retail locations, and then a couple others. And they were all successful. Uh, and then... But in each of those businesses, it was always the same problem. How does credit and financing apply to this business? Because based on your industry vertical and your time in business, all these factors, once I, you think you have it nailed, but if you switch to a different industry, all of a sudden you're kind of going almost from scratch. And so that just kind of drove me nuts every time. And I was successful. I got over 30 different commercial loans over time, lots of credit with vendors and suppliers. Um, but I started Lendio, the first venture-backed business, wanting to solve two problems help small business owners understand what are their financing options and why. And in why meaning if you're, if you're not qualified for anything or if you're only qualified for something expensive, why is that? 
entrepreneurs are typically relentless. They're curious. They're creative. They're uh, and they want to improve. You know, they can take hard and bad news. They just want the information so they can do something about it. So Olivia, we we only ended up being able to solve the problem of aggregating um, alternative business loan options. So for those that don't can't qualify for more favorable financing. And, and I, I just had a hard time staying in love with that business model because I felt like I wanted to make a difference. I'd been a small business owner. I felt the pain and our customers we were helping uh, pain in a moment and that we would help them get money in the moment they needed it. It was expensive and it didn't solve the underlying problem that something was off in their data that limited their options. So my, my now business partner at the time owned a law firm that we referred thousands of customers that, that needed help on their, their credit, their business credit. And, and he and I hatched up this idea, hey, why don't we, hit, uh, why don't we build a, a credit karma for small business? Why don't we, why is it there a resource where business owners can go to understand and improve their data and, and improve their situation versus just being stuck in some costly option? That was six years ago, left Lendio on good terms. Uh, he sold his law firm and we, we went in, you know, dove in head first. Nice, nice. Did you guys... Did you guys raise capital, or did you guys uh, initially, like in the in the beginning, or did you guys uh, sort of more or less bootstrap it with your own capital? You know, that's about lessons learned or, or mission lessons learned when we talked the other day. But you know, that we we were so optimistic. I'm optimistic to a fault, probably. So I remember thinking we could bootstrap this and never raise money. Right. And so we put in we put in the first three to five hundred thousand dollars ourselves. Um, for get an MVP product in market. This is not an easy business to get into because of all the security and compliance requirements required by the credit bureaus uh, to have native integrations and house data on our servers. And and then there's minimums. So every bureau that you want their data, you have to pay a minimum amount regardless of whether you have a single customer or not. So because you have those minimums, security and compliance requirements you know, you, you incur significant costs before you can even try to get one customer. And that, that creates a barrier of entry around our business that is pretty deep moat. Um, so we launched and then we, you know, we realized quickly it was going to cost a lot more money than we thought. And so we raised a, a seed round in 2013. We raised our A round from Kleiner Perkins in 2014. Uh, it was quite competitive round of financing. So we ended up taking uh, money from a lot of the folks that we had to pass on. Uh, less than a year later, uh, and then we uh, then we raised Experian, preempted our B round in 2016. We were the first venture capital investment Experian ever made. So I guess uh, b- before we jump into, I mean, I, I have a couple of questions. I, I, I do want to at some. We'll probably pr- later on circle back like towards pre Lendio because all those different experiences, those disparate experiences, seem to have a, a common thread being the loan piece, but also loan and credit piece, but also a couple other things. But with regards to like Nav. So how do you guys make money then? Because there's, is this more of a data play? Are you like sort of aggregating all the data that you collect from these various uh, SMBs and uh, reselling it somehow? Like, how does that work? Yeah, great, great question. So we really have uh, two revenue legs to the business. We have a free and a premium version of our, of our product. So you get a few bells and whistles on the premium version. You know, for example, uh, when I was a, electric sign manufacturer, I didn't understand how credit applied to me, but I also didn't really understand at the time I was a creditor to other businesses because they would, you know, $100,000 job, manufacturing job, they would give me 50000 down, but I would go into the job eighty five to 90000 and then wait one to three months to get paid. So so I didn't realize, but I was a lender to all of those those customers and some didn't pay on time. And so, so if I would have had NAB as a tool back then, I would have checked credit on the folks that I was going to take a credit risk on and see if they made their payments. And if, if not, then I would require 100% down on the manufacturing job. And so our customers discover that. So they understand their own credit. And then they kind of go, huh, you know, I'd like to see the credit on a few of my customers. And so that's a bell and whistle you got to pay for. So the vast majority of our customers are on the free product. But the, the small subset that do upgrade and pay becomes material and meaningful in revenue. So that's revenue leg one to the business. But it's not a... It's not gimmicky. Like our free product is very, it, it, it's awesome. You get all the software value. You get all, you know, get a ton of value out of free product. And then 
you know, if you want to upgrade, you can upgrade, downgrade whenever you want. So it's not like we try to just get you in some long-term plan. And then, uh, and then the other revenue leg to the business is we make financial recommendations. So based on your data and the machine learning that we've done over time, we know pretty, pretty darn well your likelihood of being approved for this business credit card or that business loan. And, and we make those recommendations. And if, you know, if your odds are only 70%, we have a feature that you can click on and see why. So we create that transparency and, and solve the misery that I, I faced as a small business owner over and over where you couldn't get answers, you know, solving that opaque problem. And so when, if a customer um, takes our recommendation and they go secure a business credit card, they get approved for something and, and they take it, then we get paid by the third party. And so we try to align our incentives with their incentives. So we don't sell leads. We don't sell their information. It's only if they find success in our recommendation that we get paid. And we only get paid on, I don't know, close to half of our recommendations. We make a lot of recommendations. For example, maybe the best thing for you is a gas card, a gas credit card, and we don't get paid for that. And so we have kind of a strong advocacy stance that, that we, we will always do what's best for the customer, not what's best for us. Because we believe, you know, first of all, that that's in our DNA. But second of all, you know, if, if a customer doesn't trust us, then they'll never make choices through our product. And if they do trust us, and we're they can they sense that we're unbiased and honest in our recommendations, then they'll, we think that but we know in the data they'll make decisions over and over in our product. And so that's the other revenue lake business. And it isn't just business credit cards and business loans. It may be. We can tell based on your data that you should probably incorporate because there's your business is successful enough. You should probably put some protections around that. We may recommend business insurance. We may recommend um, a different merchant processor. So ultimately, our, our vision is to materially decrease the death rate of small business. And so but we do that by helping them make the right financial decisions at the right time, improve their information so the business gets more and more profitable over time. So that's those are the two ways we make money. No, that's awesome. So when did when did the... When did the streams become lakes? Um, that's interesting because you said revenues lakes. And I love that. So, like, when when did when did lake number one become lake number one, and when did lake number two become lake number two? So, when we first started the business, it was a premium only experience that did not include recommendation because I had a non compete with my previous company. So we didn't. So revenue lake one started the day we launched. The reason for that was. At the time, I couldn't convince the credit bureaus that we initially partnered with to give me data cheap enough that I could even offer a free product. Mm. This wasn't an option. Mm. And so it was premium only. And then, you know, as I built relationships with the powers to be at some of the credit bureaus, they they fell in love with our vision and mission too. I mean, I know these seem like big, heartless organizations, but, you know, like Experian, for example, Dun & Bradstreet, people that run those businesses are, are, are good humans. And so they, once they caught the vision and they got it, then... They eventually made it possible with our pricing structure for us to offer a free product. And so that was about so about two years in. At the same time, we came out with our free product, obliterated our <laughs> our, our premium revenue. We, we knew it would happen. You know, if, if you the choice is I want to understand this and I have to pay or I don't get it, some people will pay that otherwise won't if they can get it for free, right? It's obvious. And so about two years in, we, we took a hit on revenues when we introduced a free product. And then we introduced marketplace, and so uh, you know revenue leg went down. Revenue leg one went down at first at that time, and then of course marketplace started, you know, went from nothing to, to something, and that was a, a couple of years, two three years in. So did did the the marketplace revenue leg did that come in at was it was that a sort of a, a response to the dip you saw in the free product um, or the premium product, or was it sort of did you always know that that was going to be another stream? Another lake? No, we always knew it would be because, you know, we look we can look at Credit Karma and other business models where, in addition to understanding your data, there's a recommendation that's contextual. Like people want, whether we're a consumer or a small business owner, we want certainty before we apply for something. We're so sick of getting rejected, and so, you know, that model had been proven. We we knew there would be a lot to learn, but we knew that it would be a successful revenue lake. When we added it, we just had to wait until my my non compete with my previous company ran out. Got it, got it. So you, one of the things you you touched on was trust, and it sounds like like overall, there's a layer of trust that sits on I guess pretty much all sides of Nav. So on the sides with the creditors, 
um, and the various merchants and service providers that you guys are um, entering into the marketplace, but then also with uh, the very small businesses and medium-sized businesses that are leveraging your platform. Yeah. yeah how did, how, so so I, I don't mean to cut you off, but how did you develop that trust? Like if you were to sort of decode that trust building from day one, how did you do that specifically? Like, I guess to start things off, like how did you do that with the uh, the, the credit facilities, the credit orgs, Experian and all that, um, especially within the first two year mark? Yeah, so a lot of that was just relationship building. So, so you're correct. You're the first person that's pointed that out outside of the business that it isn't just trust with a small business owner, it's trust within the entire ecosystem. The in on even nonprofits, government, um, uh, for profits, uh, and so at first it was just good old fashioned relationship building with with credit bureaus. We from day one were very very lax and easy on refunds. So that's one you know one mistake you make is I've actually made a previous business of being too hard nosed on refunds. Hey, you, know, you sign the T, it's easy. You know what you're getting into because people would take advantage of us. Like they'd want the data, they they sign up. They then get the data and then cancel and say, well, I didn't sign up, even though they have to authenticate their personal identity to sign up. And so we just went easy on folks to make sure that our, our online reputation was strong and uh, kind of let people take advantage of us if that's what they were trying to do. And then um, we, we started to beat the street with uh, influencers. So once we came out with our free product, we got a lot of traction because you you can't offer something for free unless you're 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 really in it for the customer. I mean, it's a leap of faith. We'll have thousands of customers that we never make a dime on that will only be a cost for years and years because they'll never upgrade a premium and they'll never make a decision for our product. And we'll have other people that they're on five years and they just take out a business credit card and finally make something. And so just offering a free product, uh, I think got us a lot of steam in nonprofit circles. So the SBDC centers around the U.S. that, that are funded by the SBA, we kind of just, it sounds cheesy, but we went viral with those centers. Now we do trainings for them. We, we let them point customers to a place they can be tracked so we can report back to the nonprofits how much funding they're, the, the folks they're trying to help are getting across all types of funding, not just SBA loans. And then we do, we do webinars where uh, um, accountants can get their continuing education credits for free by learning about business credit and financing. And then a lot of them sign up and then they end up referring their customers. So when you have nonprofits, you've got uh, accountants and folks like that. Those are those are categories that small business owners trust. And then we kind of earned our way into more and more partnerships. You know, so if a small business owner signs up and they see we're partnered with, whether or not they like the credit bureaus, they know most of them are smart enough to know that you can't be a criminal and get it at that business, right? Right. The credit bureaus background check, like it, it's 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 uh, tough what you go through, and then. You know, all, but also partnered with Capital One, American Express, U.S. Bank, all the major financial institutions. Again, whether or not you like any of those institutions, believe me, a lot of small business owners don't like any of those institutions. You know that it legitimizes us. And then that kind of culminated in the, mo- the most our most recent announcement, which a couple weeks ago we announced uh, a, a major partnership with First Data, um, the Clover Division. They have a point of sale product and. We flipped a switch, did a big integration where we auto-provisioned hundreds of thousands of their customers with a NAV account so that when they went to their admin dashboard the, the very next day, they saw credit tidbits on their actual dashboard. We're the first integrated partner ever for, for first data Clover division. With it. So they don't have to do anything. They, they get that credit, those credit tidbits right there. And then if they click on it, they go into a, a co-branded um, <clears throat> user experience where they get all the other value that we have to offer that we've talked about on the call. So that helps with trust too. You know that if they're the small business owners using their Clover's point of sale system, kind of the heart of their business. We're showing up there. That drives trust. And now, on the heels of that, there's all of a sudden a lot more traction and new interest from folks we haven't talked to. Other large companies that would work with small businesses saying, "Hey, we want to we want to add this value to our customers too. How can we do that?" And so we got our work cut out for us. You know, over the next few years. And to really integrate, 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 and add our value wherever the small business is already uh, already doing business themselves. You know, whether it's their point of sale system, their checking account, uh, etc. Got it. And so that that just continues to build trust. You know, 
but not just trust with the small business owner, but within the ecosystem. We want to partner with someone like First Data. The fact that we made it through First Data's <clears throat> diligence process does a lot, right? We start with from a point of trust with another big company versus trying to, to convince them, hey, we're you know you can trust us. Today's episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash giants and crowns or go to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. You know, um, one of the reasons why we started Giants and Crowns uh, is to really focus on and exercise extracting lessons learned. We're hosting these conversations in the hopes that the actions taken by our guests, the decisions they've made, can help inform the decisions that we will all make as business owners, as generalists, as scientists, as designers, as photographers, as, as producers, as creatives, um, but even more, more so than all that, as lifelong learners. So I, I fundamentally think that, and I think you, you guys would agree as well, to be a great thinker, to be a great learner, you have to have multiple perspectives, multiple models, a diversity in perspective. Um, you need to be multidisciplinary. Brilliant is hands down one of the best places to polish up and do that in an engaged and active, interactive way. And you know, there's, there's actually this really dope quote by Charlie Munger. He talks about Charlie Munger, the partner of Warren Buffett um, over at Brookshire Hathaway and also an inspiration for the podcast. What he says is the first rule is that you've got to have multiple models because if you have just one or two that you're using, the nature of human psychology is such that you'll torture reality so that it fits your models. And the models have to come from multiple disciplines because all of the wisdom of the world is not to be found in one little academic department. That's crucial. Brilliant provides frameworks that are helpful for thinking and solving problems. Brilliant is a place where you can achieve true understanding by getting to the heart of a concept. Their courses are written by leading instructors and researchers who have worked to provoke natural curiosity and guide you through an interactive exploration of deep concepts and principles and ideas. So definitely check out Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash Giants and Crowns or giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. Support Giants and Crowns by doing that. And the first 200 folks from Giants and Crowns who sign up get uh, 20% off their first entire uh, premium subscription year. Um, so sign up, check it out. Let us know how, you, how, how you're enjoying it. Um, when we send out our weekly updates, respond with a screenshot or something. That, that'd be awesome. Let us know that you're part of the crew. Um, all right. Thank you so much. The, the trust piece is, is really, I mean, it's, it's paramount to the success of the business, especially as you want to continue to spread and navigate through the, the ecosystem, really sort of connecting opportunities to capacity. Um, so I guess I'm wondering how, how have you, how have you sort of, I guess, how is, how is the, the brand or marketing or the message of NAV how have you sort of projected that out there so that when you do start the conversations, it's, it's more of a warmer connect? Because, you know, for example, when I reached out to you, I believe it was a cold connect, right? Like, I shot you a cold email, so, you know, I want you to be part of this podcast. Um, but I imagine th that would be even better if you'd already knew, known of Giants and Crowns, or you'd known of me or whatever it may be to, to sort of entice things. Like, how have you guys done that as Nav? How have you done that as Levi? So, <clears throat> with this, we, we have done a lot of advertising, but we also put out a lot of uh, content. So we, we typically win a lot of the organic searching that small business owners do around credit education for a small business owner. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that that has helped. Um, we you know we go to conferences, speak at conferences. The ecosystem is pretty aware of us now. It helps to raise money from folks like Experian and Goldman Sachs and Clyder Perkins and Point72. For sure. And, you know, that gets in the news and everybody that sees that knows, you know, Experian and Goldman Sachs, they invested uh, through the bank. You know, their diligence process is insane. And so the rest of the ecosystem knows if Experian and Goldman Sachs invested in NAV, they got their ducks in a row. Right. Because um, they, they, they won't take reputation risk. And reputation risk, whether that's data and security or whether that's just the integrity of the organization, like we're talking about trust. So there's not a, there's not a simple way to gain it. But frankly, one of the one of the most important things we did, and, and this may sound silly on the surface, was rebrand from our original name, which was Creditera, to NAV. And when you have a, a three-digit, one-syllable domain, that alone communicates 
a little bit of legitimacy, you know, especially 20 years, 20 plus years after people started buying up domains. And so we, we, we wanted a brand that would play well in, in fintech, in government, nonprofit, for-profit, financial services, and with small business owners. That's actually kind of a tall, tall order. You know, you can have like a fintech cutesy name that then sounds cutesy and, 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 and dumb to the government, nonprofit, and small business owners. Or you can have stuff that makes sense to small business owners, but it's, it's so generic that you, you just sound like a lead gen site, not, a, not an actual product. And so, so NAB, I, just in the, the brand NAB and our domain, I think starts with a position of trust. It was funny, the nature of the conversations after we rebranded, I can tell as I talk to people, they would assume we were a much larger company than we were at the time. It kind of fascinated me, the impact that that had. Yeah, yeah. And you, you think that's, you know, it's like when I see NAV, and especially now knowing a lot more, hearing you articulate the vision of the business and your role in the entire ecosystem, it's like a compass, like a like a navigation tool to to, to, to unlock opportunities for these businesses. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. We actually leave that implicit. Or, uh, we, we don't make it explicit. But yeah, the, the point is that we help you navigate the challenges in the right. life of your business. Yes, you, you're exactly right. And so, again, it, it's implicit, but that's that's how we talk about it internally. Right. So then that coupled with the, you know, the, the stellar three-letter domain <laughs> makes it seem like you've been here for a long time and that, you know, you're, you're, you're a force to be reckoned with. So I, I can definitely see how that can open up opportunities. Um, I guess, so, you know, the... Actually, before I jump into that, so how did you guys approach the rebranding conversation? Like, what was what was a catalyst to that? Because you said you were you were you were you were Credit Terra before. So, like, what was what happened that said you know what we need to we need to expand our 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 story and we need to humanize our story more than what we already are? Yeah, it, it, and, that, and it's actually a, a funny and embarrassing story of lessons learned. You know, this was my Seventh business, my my first business, my sign company, I called King Size Sign. I thought that was clever. <laughs> it was so dumb. People would go, "What King Sign Signs? Why is Signs in your name twice?" I'm like, "No, King Size, like King Size Mattress." So stupid. And I I eventually worked with a branding consultant, and he, and he like tiptoed into the, telling me it was dumb, and I'm like, "I got, I know it. I know it's dumb." Trust me, I got a thousand phone calls, and so so you think after by the seventh company, I would, I would be better at this. And so here's how it shook down that we named it Credit Terra. We got to the point in this computer, the, the compliance, there, the, the security and compliance certification process where we had to have a domain and we, we just didn't have one. You know, we were, there was so much coding and stuff going on and we didn't need a domain yet. And, and it got to a point where like, we need it today if we want to keep this going. And so me and my business partner were like, crap. We're like, okay, how much are we willing to spend? Uh, okay, we'll spend up to a thousand bucks. And then we just start, you know, we literally spent like an hour. And when we saw Credit Terra, we're like, oh, it's the era of credit. Like, flip those, it's Credit Terra. We thought mm. it sounded clever. Mm. And man, we, in our office, it was an ongoing joke. There was a, a Credit Terra tiara, because people would say Credit Tiara. Mm. They would misspell it, they would say it wrong. And so we, we ended up buying like five domains, all the misspellings. And and, and so, you know, we, we fell out of love relatively quick with that name, but then you're kind of stuck with it and it's not a priority to change it. You know, another reason we probably shouldn't have named it Credit Terra is it kind of just keeps credit in mind where there's lots of other ways we help people. Right. And there's tons of companies with credit in their name. So the impetus behind changing it was there's a, a niche business credit bureau called Corterra who, who either sued or petitioned the, the patent office to invalidate our trademark. And we talked to, uh, so we had a trademark on Credit Terra, despite the fact there was a Corterra. And they're a credit bureau where it's work credit education, so we thought we were good. And we talked to Sharp Outside Legal, that this was their specialty. They're like, there's no question you're gonna lose. Like, you're gonna lose that trademark. So I reached out to the CEO of this business credit bureau who, who I knew, and I didn't know well, but I talked to a couple times, and I was like, hey, you know, is can you like give us some time? Like, can we be cooperative here? Like, we'll we'll get rid of the name, but you know, can you just relax? And he's like, yeah. He's like, no, sorry, I had to do that, but you know, we've invested fifty million bucks here. So he was super cool about it. 
I said, he's like, how much time do you need? I'm like, I don't know. Give me like six months. And then we, you know, we, we actually hired a professional naming consultant. I didn't realize that was uh, a thing. Like the consultant I used to my sign company was just a, a marketing guy that did all kinds of stuff. And we went through thousands of names and the president of our company eventually got like fed up with me and my business partner. He's like, listen, you guys go find an Airbnb somewhere out of town and you lock yourselves up till you come out of there with a, with a brand because uh, the brand is a reflection of the founders. And so we did, we went to Santa Monica, got somebody's lock, went through thousands of names, came up with a top 10 list, and then ran up by advisors. And every single one was like, nah, no question, that's the one. And, and one of them, a friend of mine who founded web.com and, and some other businesses and, and his own thousands of domains, he's like, there's no way you're gonna get that for what you think you're gonna get excited. I thought I could get it for under $100,000. He's like, you're crazy, you're never gonna get it, but you can, that's the one. <laughs> so I called the the lady who owned it, and you know, just cold called her uh, from the domain registry. And, you know, the, the public information wasn't hidden. And I said, "Hey, I'm calling about nav.com, and I'm interested in buying it." And she goes, "Look, you know, let me cut to the chase. My husband started uh, a small business. She actually said that, and it was like 25 years. I don't remember the amount of years, but it was it was in 1994, and." It was called Navigator Communications. He died a couple of years ago, and I had to wind down the business. We've been hit up by domain brokers over the years to buy this, and I'm waiting to sell it to someone who will honor my husband's small business legacy. I kid you not. Wow. That was the very first conversation. And, and I'd reached out on other domains, and people would then research me, and they'd see that I'd raised six million bucks, and they'd go, oh, I want five million for this. Like, they don't get how venture capital works. They don't get, like, you don't raise six million and spend even a million on a domain, right? Right. And so, so she said that, and I was like, well, hey, can you go, can you go to your a computer and, and look at our website? She's like, sure. So she pulls up Creditera. I tell her our mission and vision, and I told her, we will honor his legacy. Like, we're out to save American small business. And so she's like, oh, like okay, I'll, I'll sell it to you. And I, she's... She said, what's your budget? Or she asked me something like that. And I said, my budget was actually 25,000 or less is what we had talked about it before. But in my head, I was like, I'll pay, I'll pay out of my pocket if I have to, to get this. So I told her a hundred thousand, but it was really 25. And she said, well, how about 90,000? I said, okay. And then we were both nervous enough that it was too good to be true. <laughs> that we used, used escrow.com, but it was, it was cool as hell. Like she was not naive. Uh, in that she knew it was worth way more than that, um, but she wanted it to, to honor her husband's small business legacy. And so that's actually, you know, that's something that brings a lot of meaning to us, that a small business owner made it possible for us to have this brand 25 years later uh, or, or, or whatever the, you know, the exact years are. And, and that just adds um, emotion and sentiment to, to the brand for us at NAB. Yeah, man, that is, that is a, a tremendous story. It, 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 man, that really kind of pulls it pulls things together in terms of like the collaborative nature of the small business ecosystem, and you know how Nav, how yourself, how how everyone kind of pulls together directly and indirectly. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, I almost get choked up when I tell that story every time. Yeah, when we unveiled it to the company, it was pretty pretty cool experience. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Congrats to you on that. So, like. You know, one of the things you, you made a comment on, and it kind of kind of uh, acted as sort of like the, the 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 backdrop to a lot of this was, you know, kind of identifying things you weren't necessarily good at or the best at. Um, you kind of indirectly spoke to it when you said that you had you brought in a, a naming guy, um, and when you worked with a branding guy for king size signs, <laughs> um, and then. I guess indirectly, indirectly, having brought on having a, a president who's not a founder as part of Nav, um, I'd love to love to get your, your your thoughts on like how you think about assessing yourself as a, as a leader, as an operator, as an entrepreneur, and then determining who and how you're going to bring support in to fill out your team, to fill out your blind spots, or to kind of push you to your limits so that you can unlock a new capacity in yourself like you did when you went to Santa Monica and figured out NAV? Yeah. 
you know, when I was like 25 or 26, I was on, I don't know if remember if it was the second or third, because uh, all, all my small businesses, the first one would overlap, the second one would overlap the third one. And, uh, but I, I had, had dozens and dozens of employees around the country and I had a, a co-founder. It was an outsourced sales and marketing business. And I flew to Cleveland and, and fired a sales rep that my business partner had hired. I didn't fly there to fire the person. They just didn't show up for work. So I fired him. And I got back to Denver, my business partner, and I got in this argument. And it spun into who was a better leader. And he was probably five or six years older than me. And I, I thought I, I fancied myself to be a better leader. And it was actually my brother-in-law. We're, we're, we're close friends. And so, so we talked to this company that we contracted with, we resold their services. We were pretty close to their CEO. Like, hey, how do we solve this contention between us? And uh, he's like, well, why don't you do this 360 anonymous review? And you know, your employees fill it out as your direct reports, you fill it out on yourselves and each other as peers. All, you can have some of my executives that you know well, that they can fill it out as if they were your peers and I'll fill it out as if I was your boss. Um, and so we said, okay, so we did that. And uh, I, man, I had never been so certain in my life that I was going to be vindicated. We got the results back, and there was lots of areas that I did well when it came to strategy and things like that. But his education and how I treated people, I fancied myself. So the results were brutal. Like, if I put that I was a nine, and believe me, I was putting I was like a nine. I wanted to put 10, but I'm like, ah, you know, it's probably a little room for improvement. <laughs> I would get rated by like 100 people as a two. Wow. Like, nine, the difference between nine and seven hurts. Like, oh, that sucks. But difference with United 2 is like brutally painful. Yeah. And so, you know, the first thing I thought was, you know what? They're a bunch of idiots. This just proves that why I should be in charge because they're all dumb. And that's human nature, right? We, we don't want to think that we're the problem. We want to look outside of us and point at someone else. And so for, for about a week, I stood over it just mad as hell. And I, I had a moment of clarity. Uh, like I always, I always thought like, you know, you know that guy that 20 years after high school is bragging about high school football game? That was where that person peaked. They never did anything after that. That's right. I never wanted to be that guy. And to be clear, I was not an athlete, so I didn't have that anyways. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I had this this pretty strong moment of clarity after four or five days that I realized if I, they can't all be wrong, number one. Number two is if I don't accept this and fix it, then I peaked. And I'm 25 or 26, whatever it was at the time. Like, who the hell wants to peak? as a leader that young. And so I, I sent it out, like made it transparent to everyone. I apologize. And we don't point it out. It brought brutal self-awareness. And uh, and it sent me down this road of self-discovery around personality types, communication styles, brain science. And, and I've just, I've read, you know, leadership management books that I just, to this day, still study. Um, and so, you know, I wish I would have started out understanding myself. Right? That's where it starts. I didn't know what my personality type was. And it's a personality type that comes across as an asshole. Even though what, what was in my heart is always good, it's not obvious. And so, um, and then I learned how other people uh, communicate and try to adapt my style to theirs to, you know, to be more of a service leader. And so, so that was uh, one of the more important things I learned. So that self-awareness, though, is connected to everything else, not just about communication. It's about the fact that I realized I, I've only scaled the business so far, so I've hired a president who has, has scaled things way beyond where we're at. And and that doesn't hurt my ego, right? Now, now I, I get, like, I'm wired for some stuff, some stuff I'm not. The stuff I'm not wired for, I'm going to be transparent about because I'm only committing to be mediocre and okay. And then I'm going to apply all of my efforts to where I'm, where I'm wired. And that's where the business and the people who work for me, they deserve that from me. They don't want... I shouldn't put all my energy into, be, in, into being good at things I'll never be good at. And then what it does is if you're transparent about those things, is it creates a, uh, a quid pro quo. So now it gives them permission to also be authentic and focus on what they're good at. And it buys, it, it endears everyone to each other. If, if everyone can be authentic and just focus on what they're good at, it gives us all permission to fail and make mistakes without it being uh, you know, personal and, and you just know like that person's not good at that, it's okay. I love that. Permission to be authentic. I love that. I mean, again, it goes back to the trust piece, to be, to be able to trust everyone to be authentic. It seems like, like trust is, is, is sort of, is integral to every, every, 
aspect of business more or less i, I would i would i think in my experience at least um and I, it sounds like in yours as well so one of the things i've personally tussled with is trusting others to execute as like feverishly and unapologetically as i might or as i think i might um how have you was it has that ever been an issue for you like the trusting others um to to carry out your vision to to move things forward um and if not then it's just a personal problem i have to deal with <laughs> yeah that that luckily that is one that i learned earlier on in my career i can still remember when i in my sign company you know the first six months i was the only employee and i was servicing electric signs and then i hired you know, one person, then I hired another person. I can remember when it was my job to be in the office. It was about a year in. And I remember how weird that felt. I had to get used to sitting at a desk all day. I never had in my life, right? I grew up on a farm, you know, and then I, whatever jobs I had, I never had a desk job. And it, and it felt weird for my, my, at the time, it was still before I was manufacturing about a year in. And I had, you know, two guys on the crew that would go out, there goes my boom truck and there goes, you know, the, all my inventory or tools or whatever and you go wow they're going out to do that you know it was a weird feeling and and so luckily that started really early on and i realized early that the most important things i could do for the business were to bring in business like in in a business you can solve all problems with money that's not true in life it's not true in our personal relationships but it is true in business you can solve every problem with money and so so luckily i learned that early on and that there I had to delegate and and then I especially going through the self-awareness realized there's things I'm just not wired for and so you know you've got to trust other people to do it it is harder though to delegate the things that I am good at and so you know for example I'm I'm pretty good at selling and but I've hired a VP of sales and biz dev that's better than and, and it doesn't it doesn't hurt my ego now I just know he's going to do a better job than I can but it Luckily, that was something I learned early, but I'm glad you brought it up because I think that that is one of the more important things to learn. And it is a chronic uh, point of failure for most entrepreneurs. They're just so nervous someone else is going to not do it right or not do it good enough. And I think, yeah, I didn't invent the saying, I don't know where it came from, but I'm sure you've heard it. It's that um, excellent, uh, perfect is the enemy of excellent or something like that, Yeah, where it needs to be perfect, but it doesn't. Like difference between 99% and 100% is is not relevant in the grand scheme of things. In fact, the difference between 85% and 100%, like maybe I could be the best customer service rep in the history of the world, but 90% will get us there because a customer can't tell the difference between 90 and 100%. So yeah, that that's uh, luckily something that I was kind of forced to do early on. I didn't, didn't really have a choice. Yeah, that's great. That's great. This episode of Giants and Crowns is brought to you by Vettery. Vettery is an online hiring marketplace that connects top tech talent with growing companies. All candidates are fully vetted before appearing on Vettery, and a new batch of candidates appears every Monday morning, great for startups or anyone looking to expand their tech team. Vettery also released a comprehensive tech salary report for 2018, and in it you can learn exactly how much software engineers are getting paid, use it to make the right offers, and build the best team. Vettery's salary report is available to Giants and Crowns listeners for free at vettery.com forward slash Giants and Crowns. That's V-E- T-T-E-R-Y.com forward slash Giants and Crowns. What, what was your, uh, in your research um, and sort of like the, the, the review of yourself, what, uh, what was your personality type? What was or what is your personality type? So I'm INTJ, so I'm an introvert. Um, I'm not. I'm not shy. So that's confusing people. People usually think introverts are shy, but but that's not true. That I, there's a book called um, by Susan Cain. It's called Quiet. I like how she summarizes uh, introvert and extrovert, which is is interacting with and being around people give energy or take energy. And for introverts, it takes energy, and for extroverts, it gives them energy. But uh, I'm INTJ, so that's so I'm aggressive and I'm and, and I'm analytical. So when I said earlier. 
that that comes across as asshole, right? Like if, if you're analytical and aggressive, when someone tells you something, you want to ask a lot of questions back. And, and, and it isn't that you're, you think that they're an idiot. It's that you want to understand, right? Like I, I don't like some of the waves or magic arms and tells me like, just believe me. I want, I want to understand the fact, right? But that comes across as arrogant, aggressive. And so that combination is, you know, one of the, one of the ones that comes across is, is the most rough. And so, but understanding that and how, what the, the strengths and weaknesses of my personality are, and then being open with other people about those, that then leads, like I said, to the authenticity. There was a, an important book I read called First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham. Kind of goes into the wiring of our early ages. And, and he's the one that, he makes the case that, you know, by the time we're 10, we are who we're going to be for the most part, as far as our wiring. And so you owe it to your business, your relationships to double down where you can add value. And that's where, that's those are the things you're wired for. And then just be acceptable at everything else. And so that kind of gave me permission per se to fail at stuff. And then like my old company is like a joke. I came out of the closet as an asshole where I emailed everyone. I'm like, Hey, (laughs) (laughs) I just emailed the company and said, Hey, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm not good at. Recommend you read this book. If you want, I'll buy you one. And you have permission to not be good at what you're not good at. And, you know, and so it was like made it official at my previous company. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how I've operated ever since. That's dope. That's dope. So would you suggest, I guess, like how, how important is, how important is understanding your personality when it comes to, I guess, starting a company, leading a company or running any kind of relationship, really? That's, Mac, I think I know the answer to that. <laughs> but what, what so, would you... Yeah, if, if I was going to talk to my younger self and say, you know, here's three pieces of, pieces of advice, that would actually be first. Not just... It's understand yourself and the other personality types. Understand them and the strengths and weaknesses because you, you want people that compliment you. So just because you have a personality doesn't mean you, you want everybody to have your personality. You know, then you don't have the diversity in, in, in decision-making and thought, thought process and such. And so I would, I would say that, if I can speak to my younger self, I would say learn that first. Like, study that and understand it. You'll be more forgiving of people. They'll be more forgiving of you. And, you know, there's so many interpersonal situations or, or things that get in the way of progress of a business. And so if you just have all your energy to give to, to the business, then obviously the business moves faster. That, that would probably be my top piece of advice to my, my younger self. Yeah. How how do you before we jump into the quick fire questions, how do you lead with that authenticity, with that this is what kind of personality I am? Like are you starting every conversation with, hey, I'm an INTJ and this is what it means? Um like how does I that do work? with direct reports. So okay. people that I hire to work for me directly, like we, we have the frank chat, like like when I'm in the zone, like at our company in, in either location we don't, no one has their own office. So we all just sit in open areas. And so like people will walk in and, and like, I don't even know, I don't see it. Right. I'm just in the zone. And so like, you know, someone will say good morning to me and it'll take maybe 30 seconds for me for my, to hit my conscious. And I look and they're gone. Like they just walk by and say good morning. And I didn't say good morning. And so, so anyone that reports to me, like that's part of the conversation. Like here, here's how I am. And, and it's not going to change. Uh, you know, so you got to be willing to sign up for that uh, direct feedback, real time communication, and, and it, it goes both ways. So, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's front and center. Yeah, that's stellar. I, I don't I don't remember what personality I am, but you've motivated me to to go take that test again and, and figure that out. <laughs> figure out how I can uh, uh-huh. whether or not I'm a closet asshole. Um, so, what I want to do now is, is shift over to our quick fire questions in, the la- in these last couple of minutes. Um, are you ready? Yeah, you bet. Awesome. So, first question: Biggie or Tupac? Tupac. Why? He's a poet. I respect that. I respect that. Biggie's a poet as well. Uh, I'd say. I would say he. I don't know. I'd say he's a rapper more than he is a poet, and I'd say Tupac is a poet who used rap to channel his poetry. Got it. I, I can definitely respect that. Um, you, you mentioned a number of books um, in our convo so far, Quiet and First Break All the Rules. What are some other books that have been um, truly impactful, transformative to you 
personally and or professionally? There's there's a lot. It, it, a lot of it was associated with where I was at in my life and what I needed to learn. Right. Uh, there was a book I read called Influence that really sent me down the path of understanding brain science. And I've read now tons of books on brain science. Um, so that that's another one. Um, I love biographies of, of titans of the past or, or successful businesses. Uh, I love the Vanderbilt, uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt's biography. You know, he's someone who dominated multiple industries, and that's that's not normal. It's like kind of the Elon Musk of his day. I, I find a lot of inspiration in, in those stories. Um, uh, let's see what uh, what other ones. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's there's tons on brain science, like drive, like what what motivates people and how, how do they think. Or, you know, The Paradox of Choice is a good one. Um, and then there's non-business books like Sapiens, like Understanding How Humanity Came to Be. It's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, how, to create, how to Create a Human Mind. That's one of the only books I've read that I felt dumber after I read it. It was so, so complex. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, I've always been a big reader because I grew up on a farm. My mom didn't let us watch TV, so I just, the only entertainment was to read. And then when I dropped out of college, I said, I told myself, okay, I thought I was going to learn to run a business in college, but that's obviously not what the business management degree teaches you. But so I said, okay, I'm only going to read nonfiction and, and I've, only, I've read, only ever read nonfiction since. Nice. Nice. Those are, you, you've mentioned a couple of my favorites. Sapiens is a, a recent favorite, especially like the distinction, the impact of story on our evolution as a species and how like that was one of the things that kind of separated us from everybody, every, everybody and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Co- cooperative fiction. Yeah, where the species will will agree that a legal entity is something when it's actually not, or right. paper money is something right. it's actually not, right? Yeah. Or that like these borders are are real, <laughs> like all all those things. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So what is uh what is a tool? This will this will be the last question because I know you have a hard stop. So, um, what is a tool that has been the most impactful to you personally or professionally? And tool is. You can take that as literally or as liberally as possible. I got one thing that comes to mind, and it's it, it, it's going to be probably not what you're looking for, but it's vacations. It's to get away. Yeah. My my wife and I we've been to almost 80 countries together. Been to 49 of the 50 states. But the the, the best thing I do is get my head clear, and and I do that by going going on a trip and going see another culture, another place, different set of circumstances. So that that has been my tool of survival and creativity and inspiration for many, many years. That's dope. That's dope. Well, Levi, man, thank you so much for the time today. Um, really good convo with you. I learned a lot and also inspired me to to, to catch up on, on a couple of things. One in particular, my personality, but then also some of these books, specifically uh, first break all the rules and then how to create a human mind. That one that one, that one sounds really dope. Right on. Well, thanks for having me. A great conversation. Thank you.